What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. We are not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about speaking in tongues. This is a viewer question. This is a viewer requested topic, and I am so glad to um, to be a part of this. For those of you that are just tuning in, uh, I'm going to put the uh, in the captions, I'm going to put the email for questions about the Bible, for show topic suggestions. You can send an email to www.christianityisnow at gmail.com. Uh, we've got two shows. In fact, tomorrow's show is going to be Christianity Now with Aaron Dotson, but we're going to have a special guest with us, Todd Clippard, and we're going to talk about Sunday night services. And uh, that, that's that's sure to be a good and engaging show. Hopefully it's going to be informative and edifying, and there will be something that we can garner from it that will make us better going forward than we were coming to. So let's talk about speaking in tongues. Is speaking in tongues something that is done? Um, was it done in the first century the way it's claimed to be done today? Is what is being done today in congregations in, of Christendom all across the world, is that something that is even valid as far as the New Testament is concerned? I put forth to you it is not. Now, I was going to um, pull a lot of information and a lot of stuff from this book right here. This book is called Glossolalia from God or Man, and it's by Jimmy Jividen, I suppose is his name. I'm not sure where you can get this book. It's an old book. Um, February 1971 uh, is the copyright I have on this particular version. It is from Star Publications uh, from Fort Worth, Texas, at least Fort Worth, Texas, back in 1971. I'm going to read you the acknowledgement here. I owe many debts for whatever merit this book might have. Scores of individuals have contributed to my understanding of the subject by asking questions and sharing with me the results of their own study. Tom Orbrich, J.W. Roberts, R.L. Roberts and Paul Faulkner have offered valuable suggestions. Appreciation is extended to Rua Lemons, who first published a series of my articles on glossolalia in the Firm Foundation and has continued to encourage me with my writing or in my writing. Bill Lotrell, who proofread the manuscript, and my secretaries, Ruby Busby and Rosemary Hayes, have been extremely helpful. Clark Potts, who designed the cover, and Alvin Jennings, the publisher, have been valuable assistants. The Hillcrest elders have been a constant source of encouragement during the composition of this material. The conclusions of the book are mine. I must bear the responsibility of any error. It is hoped that this material will prompt other men to examine this subject, to point out the weakness, or further strengthen the position taken in this book. Um... It's a good book, I will tell you. It's, it doesn't read like a read that you 
Like it's not a, it's not an entertaining read. It's a, it's a scholarly work and as such can be a little dry in places, but it's a, it's a, it's a work worth reading. And I will tell you that he lays out masterfully that this idea of glossolalia, um, the, the idea of speaking in tongues, the way it is in, in the 21st century, that is an idea strictly that comes from man, not God. Nowhere in the New Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament will you find people that are overtaken in an uncontrolled, uncontrollable kind of trance or spirit state where they start speaking in, a, in tongues that are not of this earth. The, the speaking in tongues in Scripture was always language, so we're going to try to we're going to try to bring out some of that in this podcast today. Anyway, good morning, John Exum. It's so good to see you. Um, we got got a fair amount of people coming in. Let me tell you something. The weather is nuts out there. Um, I'm not saying that we're getting a nor'easter. Uh, it's not nearly that much snow, but the wind is blowing very, very hard. And uh, it's blowing snow that's already there. It's snowing a little bit, and it just looks rough out there. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm proud to be in here in this heated studio, a roof over my head. I'm not hungry. I have warm clothes. I'm, I'm really just thankful. I'm, I'm just blessed beyond measure. All right. So are you part of a congregation or any other institution for that matter seeking effective ways to spread the word about your event. Remember, it's gospel meeting season. Look no further. Lindsay Dotson specializes in designing modern advertisements for churches. Whether it's flyers, postcards, or social media graphics, Lindsay has got you covered. Reach out through a private message on Facebook or the preferred method, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com, her email for more details. Don't miss this opportunity to make your message resonate both far and wide. Contact Lindsay Faye Dotson, lindsayfaydotson at gmail.com today. Uh, Terry Crooks, good to see you. So glad that you're here. Uh, remember for show topic suggestions and Bible questions, Christianity Now, Christianity is now, I should say, Christianity is now at gmail.com. All right, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, in fact, whoops, hold up. Let, let's, let's, let's think about this. Let's think about language in general. Let's go all the way back to the beginning. All the way back to the very, very first chapter of the first book and the first verse of the first chapter of the first book of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said... Let there be light. And there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day, and God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament, and the wa from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, I'm not going to finish the account. Notice how many times God said, and then he said something, and it was, it was, it was so. 
And then he called what he just crafted a specific name. He had a nomenclature. I put forth to you that language is divine in nature. No other biological entity on the face of the planet communicates with language the way human beings do. Now, there are, there are very complex organisms, or excuse me, there are organisms that have a very complex mode of communication. I think about whales, dolphins, and stuff like that. But regardless of how complex they are, regardless of how close they get, they do not have speech the way humans have speech. It's just impossible. It doesn't happen. It's not in nature. It is divine. It is, it is not secular. It's not worldly in nature. It is divine in nature. Now think about this. Let's lick our finger and turn right. We're still in Genesis. Verse 26, and God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God, listen to it now, God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. How did, how, where, hold on. You've got the very first humans that have just been formed out of the dirt being spoken to by God and they understand it. When did they learn the language, folks? From whom did they learn the language? It has to have been given miraculously. It has to be something that was either innate in their creation, built into their DNA, and part of their nature, the ability to communicate is, is part of the metaphysics of humanity, or God had to perform a miracle and endow humans, Adam and Eve, with the ability to speak and understand whatever language God was speaking when he said, let there be light. Logically, that's the only place from whence it came, or from from whence it could come. Hello, Connie Barden. Good morning, Terry Crooks. I can I'm. I don't know if I said hi to you or not. If um, if y'all say good morning or something and I ignore you, I'm not a meanie pie. I just don't do this very well sometimes. All right. So we have then this idea, this communicative power that humans participate in. It comes from God. Whenever you look in the New Testament about someone speaking in tongues, oh, cool beans, Terry. Uh, whenever you look in the New Testament about someone speaking in tongues, it is always speaking in a language, not some kind of crazy spirit talk, not some kind of, um, not some kind of gibberish. It's not some kind of special language. There's no, there's no record of a special language between God and man or between man and God. 
In fact, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Well, you know, human beings need a special prayer language that they use in prayers to God. My, my response to that is why? That violates what we under, that violates what we understand about the parsimony of God. What good is it? Well, I tell you what one woman told me one day, and she, she looked me straight in the eye, and she said, well, the reason human beings have to have a special prayer language that's between them and God is so that Satan can't hear the prayers and then rob God of the ability to answer the prayers or that Satan couldn't answer the prayers himself in such a way that would be harmful to the individual praying. I'm like, wow, that's weak sauce. Like in a movie, that would be a, a, a deus ex machina. That'd just be an operation of God that that would just that that just bails out every plot device, every every problem of the protagonist, and every, that just messes up the movie. You know, messes up the story. It's like, oh well, so it's hard when we we can't reason with one another if you're just going to be making stuff up, because there is absolutely nothing in Scripture that you would read that would draw you to that conclusion. So all of this stuff is fantastical. All of this stuff is better felt than told. God's people should be a people of logic. And why do I say logic? Well, I think about logos, the divine logic, the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God, and not anything that was made was made without the word, folks. God is a, is a God of logic and reason. And there's nothing in his communication to us that would draw you to the conclusion that your prayer language to God needs to be protected because of Satan's intercepting your prayer. Hello, Paige Perry. Good morning to you. Brandon Wild, good to see you. Uh, I don't think anywhere in Scripture says Satan can hear our prayers. I, Connie, if it's there, I have overlooked it all these years. I don't know. Uh, and, and here's the thing. Logically, Satan, if he turns, remember, Satan is not omniscient and he's not omnipotent. Uh, I'm going to get this verse with John Exum. Hey, Sue Ross, good to see you. And Paige Perry, I hope I said good morning to you. Um, if I didn't, shame on me. Uh, John Exon, by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is, or so that what is seen, well, hold on, she jumped. So that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible, Hebrews 11.3. And then, one is not baptized with the Holy Spirit automatically at conversion. It is always accompanied by speaking in in other tongues. Jimmy swaggered. The butter slipped off his biscuit a long time ago. You know, actually, if I, I that right there, I don't have a problem with. Like if if I'm just trying to explain to people why um, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not automatic at, at the conversion of the of the sinner into the saint. I mean, that's a good like, yeah. I mean. Baptism of the Holy Spirit in Scripture was always accompanied by speaking in other tongues. Cornelius and his house spake in tongues, and the apostles on the day of Pentecost spake in tongues. 
the only other record of baptism of the Holy Spirit we have is implicit, not explicit, and that's the baptism of the Holy Ghost uh, in relation to the Apostle Paul. But yes, but the butter did slip off Jimmy Swagger's biscuit a long time ago, but uh, but I actually don't have an issue with that right there. Um, here's the thing. If, if somebody today claims to have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, then if they don't speak in tongues, they... That, that would be hard to say that they've been baptized by the Holy Ghost. But what tongues were they speaking in? That's We haven't even talked about that. We've been going 17 minutes. Um, being that Jimmy is a Pentecostal preacher, he's talking that that is for us today from Acts 2.38. Well, yeah, but like I said, just taking, taking the quote out of his, just on, on face value, um, I mean, he... It, Sadly, the the Pentecostals, they have a better understanding sometimes, although they apply it universally, they have a better understanding of what went on from the spiritual aspect than than we'd like to give them credit. But my the, the point stands, I mean, they're wrong as far as the universal application, but you know, like that 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 quote by Jimmy Swaggard, that's that's right on the money. It's just nobody nobody that's no, nobody that's alive today was baptized in the Holy Ghost. All right. Um where was I at? Well, I wanted to go some oh yeah. So we, we were talking about tongues and languages. And every time in the New Testament you you read this idea of tongues. It, just insert languages, all right? Uh, Rusty Kirby says, it's strange how people want to make the devil omnipotent. He can only do what God allows him to do. That's exactly right. In fact, that's always been the case, but I think it's been even more so the case because I'm fully convinced that he is currently bound on a chain and uh, he can't have any power over you unless you get in his domain. It's kind of like that pit bulldog tied up in the neighbor's yard. Look, as long as you're outside the length of the chain, he can't hurt you. But if you get in the if you get in the reach of his chain, he's going to eat you up one side and down the other and spit you out as if you were a sour persimmon. Um. But Rusty, you brought me back to to one thing that I was thinking of. Uh, this I'm going to put this comment by Connie, so I don't forget it. I don't think anywhere in Scripture says Satan can hear our prayers. Uh, he abs- it absolutely doesn't. And if I if it's in there, I haven't found it. And I've just overlooked it. We try to make I say we people seem to try to put attributes of deity on Satan. Satan is not omnipotent. Satan is not omniscient. Now, I do believe that Satan can turn his attention. So if I'm praying to God and Satan is, is, is focusing his attention on me, Satan could hear my prayers. I have no doubt about that. That's reasonable. That's logical. But with, with what this woman was trying to explain to me, and this is, a, this is, a, this is an apologetic in many uh, Pentecostal circles and many charismatic circles, that the reason we have this special prayer language between us and God is because Satan and his minions can intercept our prayers and take from them the, the their power and or fulfill them in such a way that would ultimately be harmful for us. 
Now, quest, there is something to be considered there. If everything you've touched in your life is turned to gold, that may not be from God. Uh, that, that may be Satan working in the world to give you everything you ever wanted because that is the biggest barrier to your righteousness than anything else. I think about the rich young ruler who was rich, respectful, and real, all three good things, but he went away sad and wroth or whatever because he had great riches. He wasn't willing to give up the thing that would keep him from God. So anyway, uh, Satan cannot prevent God from hearing and answering prayer. If that were the case, then Satan would by would be God and not Yahweh, would he not? I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure, John. Um, I'd have to chew on that dichotomy, but I do know that Satan is not deity. Therefore, he does not. He does not have the the attributes of deity. He is not omni. How come they? How come these tongues today are not understandable when the tongues on the, on the day of Pentecost were understood by those who spoke those languages? Yeah, it's a good question to ask, and that that brings me again then. Uh, Connie Barton, you mean if we are praying out loud, I don't think he can hear my thoughts. Yeah. So that, that's a thing. I, honestly, Connie, I'm not sure. I, I don't know what a spiritual being would be able to do and be able to not do. Um, I know that, I know that Satan knows us and, um, it, it would not be, in my opinion, it would not be beyond the realm of what a supernatural entity would be able to do. I mean, they're supernatural entities thinking an, an inner monologue is a supernatural thing. So I don't understand. I don't, I don't see where it would be beyond the pale or the scope of what a supernatural entity would be able to do. Uh, it, it, it to commute to communicate supernaturally. I don't mean to scare anybody or anything, but I just, I just assume that God and Satan and the angels and Satan's angels, I assume they can hear my thoughts. I just, I, that's just the way I live my life. All right. But I, I don't know. I don't, it's a good, good question. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. Would the implication here be, why are you writing the word Yahweh? I, I, it, it, it's throwing me off. Hold on. Would the implication here, being only Yahweh can know the thoughts in the hearts of men, no, that, that that in fact reading the word only would um would be reading into the text. Yahweh is the memorial name for God. Yeah, but the the problem is, okay, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not as pleasing men. So my question in in First Thessalonians two four, is that the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit? Probably the word God there would be not not Yahweh God the Father would probably be God the Son, 
And if it and do you mean Yahweh? Yeah, I just it's just it's just off putting is all. All right. I just know that there's this silliness that where people feel more spiritual because they don't they don't say Jesus, they say just Jeshua or Yahshua. They 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 don't say God, they say Yahweh or something to that effect. I'm just like, man, we speak English. It's Jesus, he's the Christ, and it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's just I I I, I question the motive and the reason for the change in nomenclature um, is all. That's that's it. Um, and then, again, it's been 20 years ago. I run across some guy that was, like, he, he, he didn't think, like, he thought, well, you know, the names are important. Well, why are the names important? I don't get it. Um, if, so he's saying, well, Jesus it's not Jesus's name. And he, he went on so far as to say, well, we shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, God is not a name. God is God is God is not his name. Yahweh's his name. When the, the sad thing is, Yahweh is not even his name. Yahweh is just a tetragrammaton. It's it's uh it's whenever whenever God the, the beginning in the in in Exodus, the burning bush. It's I am that I am. I mean, so if we go all the way back and we're going to we're going to be purist, instead of saying God, just say I am that I am. Yeah, but Yahweh isn't I am. That's the thing. Like linguistically, that's that's not that's not the case. Like it's just a weird, it's a weird thing. Um, but but Yahweh. Yahweh is not I am that I am. It's it's different. In fact, there's a there there's a there's an utterance that that's translated with the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. There's an utterance that is just it's Yah. You know. It just it just seems awfully pious and 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 sanctimonious. Um Terry Crooks. Yes, tongues were assigned as to unbelievers. In fact, there there are two different classifications of unbelievers. Like it, it doesn't matter if you're trying to convince someone of something. If you're trying to con- what well, semantics are very important. Look up the word semantics. Um, semantics are very important. Um, but I'm not arguing semantics. I'm just arguing. Uh, practicality. Um, so whenever, whenever you see in the book of Acts chapter two, the unbelievers were the Jews that were there on the day of Pentecost. And they were the ones that thought that they had done right by killing Jesus. Those were the unbelievers in Acts chapter 10. The unbelievers were again, the Jews who came with Peter but they believed in God and they had obeyed the gospel. What they were unbelieving is they didn't believe that Jesus, or excuse me, they didn't believe that the Gentiles uh, were candidates for the recipients of the gospel. Um, let me go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to get that verse 
where uh, tongues are assigned not to them that believe, but that believe not. Let's see. What verse is it? Oh, that's 15. No wonder. It looked odd. All right. So it's toward the end. Let's see. Well, uh oh, where's it at? I'm going to start reading in verse 16 of First Corinthians 14. Else, when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks? seeing as he understandeth not what thou sayest. For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all, yet in the church I had rather speak five words with my understanding, that by my voice I might teach others also than ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. Brethren, be not children understanding, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men." In the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that will they hear they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Wherefore, tongues are a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Prophesying serveth for them that believeth not, but for them not for them that believeth not, but for them which believe. So thank you very much, Barry. Verse twenty two. So the idea of tongues being assigned to those that believe not, well, tongues were used to as a missionary endeavor. Like they had to go out and preach. Well, it'd be mighty hard to find a translator everywhere you went, so you just spake in tongues, and that was how you were to communicate the gospel. But whenever you were at a local congregation, then everybody there had a commonality of language so you would much rather prophesy because the people that are there, they're already bought in. They've already come to worship service. They already come wanting to hear a word from the Lord and speaking in tongues doesn't do them any good. So you want to prophesy. You want to tell forth the word of God. So you want to preach a homily. Anyway, um, now, the speaking in tongues today what unbelievers are you trying to convince? And what? who are you using as an interpreter? That's the thing with tongues. The things that go on today are not other languages. All right? In fact, let's just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, that, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God, for no man understandeth him, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, Paul is not saying this is what should happen. He's saying, basically, if you've got no interpreter, then those tongues are just for you and God. There's nothing there. You're not helping anybody. You're not edifying anybody. But he that prophesieth, he speaks unto men for edification and exhortation and comfort. So if you're prophesying, you don't need somebody there to help you out. You don't need some, 
somebody there to interpret. By the way, I think it is habit as why I say Yahweh sometimes. I'm teaching the Psalms here, and the Old Testament uses Yahweh in most places in the Old Testament. In the LSB, that's why out of habit, not as holy spiritual thing. I hope you don't think I believe Yahweh is more holy to say than God or Jesus. I don't believe that. I mean, I, I appreciate that, and I'm not judging what you believe or not. I'm just telling you how it comes off. Um, but anyway, like I said, I'm, I don't want to make a deal out of it. I just, it's just off-putting is, is all I'm saying. It, 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 it's, it's hard to, it's hard to process. When I say hard to process, don't take more of that than what I intended to do to mean. All right. So Paul says, he that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the whole church. I would that you all spake with tongues, but rather that you prophesied. For greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh in tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. And that's the blows my mind in our in our Pentecostal congregations across the country, is you have all of this speaking in tongues, but Paul is actually talking about tongues in a negative light. He's in the local congregation. It's much better to prophesy. Why would you want to? Why would you want to speak in tongues? You're just selfish. You'd rather prophesy so that you can help other people and edify other people, because speaking in tongues without a without an interpreter does you no good, and it really does God no good. It does the church no good. You just look good. So now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues. What shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? In other words, if I'm just speaking from the overflow of what I've been taught, I just happen to be speaking in tongues, you're not edified because I'm not speaking by revelation. I'm not speaking by divine miraculous knowledge or prophesying or doctrine. I'm just telling you what's already out there. I'm just changing it into a language. Well, all that shows is I can speak in a language I've never studied, and it doesn't help you at all. And even the things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? In other words, think about revelry. So uh, think, think about in the army, you have the bugle, and when the bugle sounds, when the drums beat a certain way, you, you know how to function as an army. What's the use in banging the drums or blowing the bugle unless it's distinct and it, people already know what that means? It's just noise. It doesn't matter. For if the trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself to battle? No one. So likewise, except you utter the tongues, except you utter by the tongue, Words easy to be understood, how shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. So all of those people all around the world in these Pentecostal assemblies that get up in, in the stage and do all of the jigga booga jigga booga jigga. Sima kosimata, sima kosimata, sima kosimata. All of that stuff. It's gibberish. It does nothing for them. It does nothing for the church. 
It doesn't build up. It doesn't communicate anything. They're just speaking into the air. And the only thing they're doing is they're receiving the accolades of man because man is saying, look, look how holy this person is. He's speaking in tongues. Hello, sword and pearls. Good to see you. Hello. And the tongue speaking today is gibberish and often entails jumping around. Yes, it does. Well, I mean, I, you can read, um, you can read the account of the Cane Creek, um, revival and with, uh, where Barton W. Stone and some others were. And, um, yeah, if, do you want to speak in tongues? Say, here's my tie, see my tie over and over. That's it. Yeah. Here's my tie, see my tie, here's my tie, see my tie, here's my tie, see my tie, or see my coat, see my tie, see my, see my coat, see my tie. Uh, incidentally, you, you can, um, man, I should have had this queued up. You can find on YouTube. speakers whipping the crowd up into a Holy ghost frenzy. And it is easy to see. He is employing the exact same, uh, the exact same skills that a hype man for a, for a hip hop artist would do or, um, a cheerleading section for a professional. Hello, Rose. Good to see you. Uh, for a cheerleading section for a um, a cheerleading section for a professional football or or, or sports program. They they whip the audience up. In fact, uh, in this book, Glossolalia from God or Man. Um, let me see. Let me see if I can find this. Really quickly. Um, yeah, number, let's go to page 35. So the, in this chapter three, this it's, in, it's entitled Ecstatic Utterances or Languages. Most of the confusion that exists over tongue speaking is over misunderstanding of the nature of the glossa gift in the New Testament. Four different views are generally held today concerning the nature of the New Testament gift. Number one, the ability to speak in a foreign language without having learned it. Number two, ecstatic utterances coming from a supernatural working of the Holy Spirit. Number three, a combination of the above views, which makes the gift of the, on the day of Pentecost, foreign languages, and the phenomenon in the church at Corinth, ecstatic utterances. And four, ecstatic utterances, which are nothing more than psychological phenomenon explained in human terms. Well, in studying the New Testament evidence, one must be careful not to interpret the New Testament phenomenon in terms of the glossolalia experience today. They are to be studied independently only after one has discovered the nature of the glossa gift in the New Testament can he compare it to the present phenomenon. Jesus predicted tongue speaking after he gave the Great Commission in Mark. He says, and these signs shall follow, uh, accompany them that believe. In my name shall they cast out demons. They shall speak with new tongues. This promise was fulfilled on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, sometime later at the household of Cornelius in Caesarea, still later at Ephesus, and finally after many years at Corinth. The promise of Jesus was one. Its fulfillment must also be one. All of the occurrences of the fulfillment of the promise 
must be considered as one, even though they are separated by in time and distance. There is no evidence that any of the fulfillment was different from the others. And so the first occurrence of tongue speaking in the New Testament was on the day of Pentecost. And of course, this, this talks about uh, instead of ecstatic utterances, um, this was uh, languages. This wasn't simply people being overcome or overtaken. And in fact, when we go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there is something, oh yeah, there are, there are videos on YouTube that actually teach you how to speak in tongues. And then, <laughs> yeah, Kenneth Copeland speaking in tongues definitely summons something foreboding. And Ted Hook Knight says, um, I don't mean to insult people, but it's hard for me to believe that they participate in this and support it and claim it. Yeah, it, that, listen, there was a quote-unquote holy roller church just around the corner from my house on Possum Trot Road growing up. It was on the corner of Possum Trot and Protamus. And uh, I think Protamus, anyway, it's called the Star of Bethlehem. And the, those people went nuts. And in fact, I had a little cousin that spent the night at a girl's house and they happened to be having a tent revival. And I think it scarred my cousin for life because she went to that tent revival with that little girl having no idea what to expect. And the parents didn't realize that they were having a tent revival uh, or else they probably would have never let her go. And uh, all those people rolling around on the floor and jumping and hollering and getting slain in the spirit, barking like dogs, speaking in tongues all that stuff, which is just chaotic. It's a cacophony of, of chaos. Well, it scared her to death. She, she went hysterical. She said, those people, something's wrong. And, uh, it, it still, I think bothers her to this day. Um, I I'm with you, Ted. I don't, I don't want to be insulting at all, but there's nothing in scripture that would lead you to believe that something like that's okay. And then of course, you know, Kenneth Copeland speaking in tongues definitely summons something foreboding. Yes. And Kenneth Co Copeland is borderline demon possessed. I'm kidding, but he is something else. Yeah. I mean, there, look, I, I don't think Kenneth Copeland is actually possessed literally by a demon, but if you don't think Satan's got a hold of that joker, in a certain way. I mean, yeah, it's rough. And, and I don't know if Kenneth Copeland did it on purpose. In other words, I don't think he sat down and said, you know what? I'm going to give my life to Satan and lead as much people astray as I can. But I think he made a deal with the devil and, and it, I, just out of convenience. Um, if these guys stopped getting money, they would stop this mess of speaking in tongues. I tell you what, um, there's a little old town in Arkansas where uh, one of the men told me about something he did whenever he was a very young child. And in that area of Arkansas, uh, it's around, um, well, Ted, I can't think of the, Forest City, Forest City. Forest City, Arkansas. Um, oh, come on. Palestine, Aubrey. I feel like there's another besides Forest City. Anyway, um, you uh, you can't throw a rock without hitting a missionary Baptist church, and they're 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 charismatic. I don't think they're 
full blown holy roller. But anyway, we were talking about that one day, and one of the the, the older man there said, "You know, whenever we were kids, uh, they have having this big tent meeting. They had all this sawdust spread down on the ground, and it was hot. And of course, you know what they do? They'd be slain in the spirit. They'd roll around." He said, we just went down there and we took a bunch of mustard powder, a bunch of mustard oil, mustard powder, and sprinkled it and, and, and dusted all that, um, all of that um, sawdust. And the first night of that tent event, they, they caught the Holy Ghost and rolled around in all that sawdust. And, of course, the sweat activated all that mustard powder, mustard oil or whatever, and uh, it set them on fire. And it's funny how the Holy Ghost didn't show up after that. You know, they didn't get slain in the spirit. They still talked in tongues and jumped around, but they didn't roll around in the sawdust. It's funny how stuff like that can stop the power of the Holy Ghost. I can't remember, but I think that, uh, I think it was Alan Hires that was, um, that was debating a Pentecostal and, he might, Alan Hires may have got somebody to bring a, a rattlesnake and he put the rattlesnake in the box on the podium and said, my esteemed opponent here claims to have been baptized with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, all of these things in Mark applies to him. He should be able to pick up that servant. He should be able to pick up that serpent rather and have it not bother him. And of course, it's funny how the Holy Spirit was quenched just by a serpent that showed up because this feller could not have any power whatsoever, and he avoided that serpent like the plague. Uh, one couple was at a tent meeting once, and they were the only couple that attended that was not paid to be there. I wonder if most of those people in the audience were paid to be there and acted out. Uh, I, the, here's the thing, John. You don't have to pay them is the thing, uh, uh, Ted, what Ted Hook Knight was talking about is the, uh, the preachers in this stuff. If they, if, if, if you took away their financial incentive, they wouldn't be acting like that. But the people in the crowd, they psychology, psych, psychologically, they are, it's the same as like a mob mentality or, um, shouting at a, at a football match or something like that a football game, it's, it's, it's that. Um, yeah, Sword and Pearl, I actually talked a little bit about that earlier before you came in. Uh, to Mammoth Spring Church's point about YouTube channels teaching on tongues, people claim to have their own prayer language. Have you heard about that, Tony? Yes, I have. And, and that's, that, that, that's, it blows my mind because my question is, why would you need, first off, what passage of scripture would you go to in the Bible that would tell me I needed a special prayer language? Now, it's very possible that you go to, um, well, the, the very first part of 1 Corinthians 14, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men, but unto God. For no man understandeth them, howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. You could take that verse out of its context and say, you know what? 
that's a verse right there that says we got this special prayer language. And if there's nobody around to understand me speaking in tongues, then I'm speaking to God, so you need to leave me alone. Well, the problem is that's not taking into account the the fairly harsh tone with which Paul is writing. And Paul is being at least facetious. Paul may be full-blown, may be being full-blown sarcastic here with a little bit of bite to it. Um, but that, but, but that, that would be my challenge is what, what is the, what is the purpose of it? And incidentally, if it is a special language, um, give me just a second. Yeah, right here. First Corinthians or second Corinthians chapter 12. If this is a heavenly language that is spoken by the Enochians, the, the angelic beings, as it were, and you know what I think about that. It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations in the Lord of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such a one was caught up into the third heaven. Now, you got to understand, the third heaven would be the place where God is, okay? So the, the first heaven would be our atmosphere. The second heaven would be outer space. The third heaven would be the ethereal region, the spiritual region, as it were. So Paul knew, knew a fella, whether in the body or out, he did not know, but God knows he was caught up into the third heaven. Verse three, and I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine infirmities, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but no. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth me to be. I'm going to stop there. Paul whether in a vision or out, or literally, he was caught up into the third heaven and he heard this spiritual language. It's not lawful for a man to speak it. So if you're at a congregation and they're speaking in tongues, you say, hey, why are you speaking in tongues? I can't understand you. What language is that? French? English? Spanish? What language? Well, it's a special spirit language that God and the angels speak. Oh, well, it's not lawful for you to speak it then. See how this just falls apart. Mar Marjo Gortner has a documentary about all the trick prosperity preachers use to deceive people. It's on YouTube. That's pretty cool. Philip S. Carmen. Yeah. Yeah, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn, and one must translate. But if there is no translator, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. That means keep it between you and God. Um, in fact, that Paul uses that phrase, and it, it shouldn't be taken for anything more than it is. It's just a way to say you need to hold your peace. You need to hush up. Listen, 
It is good neither to eat, drink, eat flesh nor drink wine or anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Hast thou faith? Have it to thyself before God. So just hush up. Just just keep it between you and God. That, that's what Paul is saying. If, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, which we haven't even talked about, that there is no one alive today with the ability to speak in tongues. But let's say that you did. If there's nobody there to interpret, you got to keep your mouth shut. So then why on earth are all these Pentecostal preachers and teachers in these churches, they push speaking in tongues, they promote it, they teach people how to do it, they come together, they hoot and holler and go nuts, and they say, well, you can't tell us that we can't do this because this is an, it's, 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 it's an overtaking of our spirit. We're not in control. The Spirit is overtaking us. Well, let's go back to what Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 14. For if, for you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and that all may be comforted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets because God is not the author of chaos, but of order as in all the churches of the saints. Now, the King James says God is not the author of confusion but of peace, but those two words could just as easily be translated. God is not the author of chaos but of order. Folks, from where John Exum uh, copy and pasted uh, that verse, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or three, what Paul is saying there is, for those of you who have the ability to do the miraculous, that that spirit that's been given you, it's subject to you. You can control it. You're not subject to it. Well, what are these people in today, in today's time? They well, you you can't expect me to control when the Holy Ghost takes me. Well, that's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul teaches. Y'all are hooping and a hollering and jumping up and running around and barking like dogs and no telling what else. According to Paul, this Holy Ghost spirit that you've got, it's subject to you, not you to it. So conduct yourself with the decorum commensurate with what's going on at the time. This is a this is a worship service. There's a Bible study. It's a it's a formal gathering, and we need to treat it as such. Sadly, it is a clown show. And like I said, I'm. I, I, it's not my intention to insult anybody, but that's what it is. It's rough, and these poor old people. They are. I I do not doubt for one minute. I do not doubt their sincerity. I do not doubt their sincerity. Now, we've we haven't really gone that deep into this. Tongues in the first century were languages. Uh, the miracle in Acts chapter two, the miracle was with the apostles. Some people teach that the apostles spake in their native language, and the people heard in their native language. That would mean the miracle was separate and apart from the apostles. That's it. They are sincerely wrong. Um, 
grammatically, here's the way this would this would pan out. I'm an English speaker. I do not speak French. So if I'm at the market and I say, gather around everybody, I'm going to tell you the story of Jesus Christ and how he died for your sins so that you can spend an eternity in heaven. But instead of speaking English, I'm speaking French. And then somebody that knows me, they look at me and say, well, how is he speaking French? We're hearing this in French, but he can't speak French. That's what was going on in the first century. It's not that the people were hearing. In other words, they they were hearing English converted to French. They were hearing French because that's what the apostle was speaking. They were speaking in French. And that's what tongues were. It was just languages that these people had never studied. I tried telling some of my friends that speaking in tongues as described in the Bible was miraculous. I was looked down upon for suggesting that today speaking is simply a matter of being bilingual. That Exactly. Yes. Speaking in tongues in the first century was a miraculous thing. If I got up, if I went to China and I started speaking in English, you would need an interpreter. But if I started speaking in Chinese, well, that would mean that I'm speaking in tongues and I don't need an interpreter. However, you know that I would have had to have studied. I would have to have studied in order to learn the Chinese language. I, I, would, I would assume that'd be Mandarin. Um, but anyway, the, the point is we can speak in tongues today. We just have to study. It's just like we can prophesy today. How do you prophesy? You tell forth the word of God. Well, you got to put it in there first. In the first century, the prophets were inspired. In the 21st century, the prophets have to study to show themselves approved unto God, workmen that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, does that mean that I think that you ought to call you ought to walk around calling Tony a prophet? God forbid, that would just be way too confusing because it's semantically overloaded. But, the, well, I didn't preach this past Sunday. I can Lee did. Sunday before last, when I preached the word of God from the pulpit, I was prophesying. I wasn't telling the future. I was just telling forth God's word. But I had to study first. The same way if I get up in, in a church in China and I start speaking Mandarin. I'm speaking in tongues. I just, it's a tongue I studied first. That's all it is. It's as though the enemy uses this confusion around tongues to mock the holiness of God. That's ex- I, I believe that's a lot of what it is, Pearl, sword and pearl. I really do. I really do. Um, yeah, that's, that's about all I can say about that. Let, let, me, let me offer something for your consideration about these spiritual gifts very quickly. And we're going to use a little bit of scripture and a lot of logical reason, but don't discount me. Don't discount me. Okay. I just don't have enough time to build this case. Um, first Corinthians chapter 13 is that beautiful excursus that Pauline parenthetical that talks about charity, love. All right. And verse eight is the key. Charity, love never faileth, but whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. 
Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. And whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. Folks, we have to at least acknowledge that sometime between then and now, all of these things were slated to cease. How in the world was the gift of tongues passed from one individual to another? Well, in Acts chapter 8, whenever Simon saw that by the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money saying, Hey, I want it so that whomever I lay hands, upon whomsoever I lay hands, they'll receive this gift. Well, Peter said, No, you're in a gall of bitterness, bondage to iniquity. You and your money can perish with you. You need to pray that the thoughts and intention of your heart might be forgiven. Paul in Romans chapter 1 said, I want to come to you in Rome so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you. Folks, it is by the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost is given the ability to do miracles. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul tells the people in Corinth, if nobody else believes that I'm an apostle, you must believe that I'm an apostle because you are my seal. You are my seal in uh, my seal of apostleship. You are, I'm sorry. My, 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 my Instagram just started blowing up. My Instagram's never blown up anyway. Um, I, I, it took me out of it now. Um, where was that? Yeah. You are my seal of an apostleship. Well, how, how, how did the church in Corinth, how could they vouch for Paul's being an apostle? Because Paul laid hands on them and they were able to do miracles. In fact, they had a representation of all nine spiritual gifts of which speaking in tongues and the gift of discernment were two. But that's going to, that's going to fade out. When's it going to fade out? Well, it's going to fade out when that which is perfect has come. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, when that which is perfect has come is our completed canon of Scripture. And this is a very difficult proposition for folks because they're like, well, I don't get it. I mean, who decides what's canon and who's not? Well, there are various and a sundry test. What, what, what does it mean for something to be canon? Well, I'll tell you what it means for something to be canon. First off, it's got to pass the smell test. It's got to pass the sniff test. Is this work profound? Does it carry with it universal truths? Was it considered to be canon by the people to whom it was written? Was it considered to be scripture? Did it come from an author that we know to be inspired or a prophet or something like that? So all of these fail-safes, these barriers to canonization, does a work have to pass? before it's entered into our canon of scripture. During the age of miracles, we had people walking the earth with the gift of discernment. So they could look at, for instance, the book of Hebrews, and they could say, yes, this is canon or this is not. And we have had this 66 books of the Bible almost since the first century, folks, like, that's a very interesting study to find out exactly how early we have our copy of Scripture, our canon of Scripture. Now, what is important with that? Well, all things that pertain to life and godliness are given by the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. That's 2 Peter 1. Everything you need, everything that equips us for every good work is given to us by the knowledge of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And the only way you have any knowledge of the G- of Jesus, our Lord, is through the Bible. Folks, once we have our, our, our Holy Bible, there's no more reason for the miraculous to happen. So whenever the last apostle died, no longer was there this ability in the world to do miracles. In other words, you have the apostle John, and he lays hands on a 15-year-old new convert. Well, the 15-year-old has this ability to do miracles. What is his ability? Whatever the Holy Spirit decides to give him. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So let's say that he has the, uh, the gift of discernment. If, if, the, if the apostle John laid hands on this 15-year-old Christian in AD 95, and this 15-year-old Christian lived till he was 100, well, that means that way on in to that century, you have somebody that's alive with the gift of discernment. But once that individual dies, he no longer, he, he does not have the ability, or once that individual dies, then, then he's the last person with the, with the ability to do miracles. He's passing out of the world. So the ability to do miracles is passed out of the world. Um, nobody will be able to come along and perform a miracle because there's no apostles left alive to bestow that ability on to them, all right? Well, folks, that's that's how you know today there's nobody alive that can speak in tongues. If somebody says, I can speak in tongues, then you need to find the apostle that laid hands on them. Now, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you know how they get by this? They get by by saying that the apostle John never died. And and their 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 one and done strongest argument is it's not recorded in scripture that John dies. Therefore, John didn't die. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Not only is what passes in the world today for speaking in tongues absolutely nothing like what went on in the Bible. The ability is gone out of the world, and the ability was gone out of the world once we had our canon of Scripture. I would love for everybody to have a copy of this book, Glossolalia, from God or from man. It's a really good book. Um, yeah, it's a really good book, but uh, you don't have to have it. Everything you need to know about speaking in tongues is right in the Bible. I hope that I have been respectful to people that might believe differently than I. I have no problem with ridiculing ridiculous dogmas. And quite frankly, this idea of speaking in tongues, it's ridiculous. It it, it, it deserves to be ridiculed. But I would rather I, I would I would rather I believe I would rather not ridicule it 
and convert more people to my way of thinking than to ridicule it, which I believe I have every right to do and cause them to double down in their way of thinking. Now, keep in mind, I'm, I'm not above ridiculing a ridiculous doctrine, but he, here's, here's the thing with this, with this doctrine. I hope if you don't take away, but one thing from this entire live stream, if somebody claims to be able to do a miracle today, Well, the people that, that, that were able to do miracles in the first century, none of them went around debating whether or not they were able to do miracles. They just did the miracles. Does that make sense? It's almost like faith and works. James says that all of you say that you have faith without your works. Well, I show you I have faith by my works. In other words, there's walking the walk and there's talking the talk and the people that are out there walking, you don't ever hear them talk because they're too busy walking. If there was someone in the world today that was actually able to do miracles, they wouldn't be on the lectureship circuit trying to logically prove from scripture that miracles are able to be done. They would just be doing the miracles. They would just be doing the miracles. And don't say your way of thinking, uh, this is the Bible's way of believing. I, I, I get it, and I, I'm, I'm, th th there is a sense in which that's true. Um, and, and anyway, that's... Yeah, well, good point. Yeah, Ben Grady says, yet you raise that point, and they go, well, that's not how it works. That is true. It's it's very difficult to uh, reason reasonably debate and reason with somebody um, that just want to make up stuff as they go. I know you weren't trying to be rude, Kim. No, that's good. Um, I was I was trying to think. I had two or three different thoughts collide right behind my mouth, and none of them got out very well. Um, let me read this. Let me read your comment again and try to try to get my thought out. All right. Don't say your way of thinking. The it's the Bible's way of believing. Like that, that's that's true. Like if if the Bible teaches it, whether I believe it or not is irrelevant. Like one of the one of one of the harshest statements that you can make is, well, I know what the Bible says, but, and people do it with me when I when we talk about baptism. Listen, I don't want to teach a work salvation. You cannot work your way into heaven. But if the person that, that has what you desire says, I'm going to freely give this to you, but there are two prerequisites. You know, you have to come to me and you have to wear a red hat and I'm going to gift you $1 million. I would wear a red hat and I would come to that person and I would not even argue one minute. Jesus said, he that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. I'm going to believe and I'm going to be baptized. Period. It doesn't matter whether or not what we believe. It just, that, that's what Jesus said. You want to argue with him or not. And then I do want to mitigate that by, I, I've seen some posts like, well, when I quote scripture and everything that, 
That's not my interpretation. No, everything we say is an interpretation of Scripture. I believe that baptism is necessary for the remission of sin. That's an interpretation of Scripture. Like every every belief we hold is 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 a conclusion based off an interpretation of Scripture. It's is my interpretation correct, and is your interpretation wrong, or is both of our interpretations wrong? Because they can't both be correct. Anyway, that's a roundabout. I, I don't think he's being rude at all, Kim. I just it's it makes for good content to flesh stuff out like that. Diana Harden says, you handled it well, and while speaking the truth, as we are to do, regardless of who might be offended. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I don't I don't want to be offensive with the truth, but on the other hand, I don't care if I offend you with the truth. So I don't know if I I don't know if I answered the question adequately or not. I think what I've tried to do is I've tried to make the case that what happens today that is called speaking in tongues, that is nothing like what was happening in the first century. But even if it were, what happened in the first century, speaking in tongues, cannot happen today. So therefore, it's a, it's, it's, it's a foolish endeavor. There's, there, there, there's, there's no, it's just false. It's vain. And whenever Paul talks about speaking in tongues, if you like speaking in tongues a whole lot, it shows that that you're a little bit self-centered. Religion is a lot less complex than others would believe. Love one another, obey God, and do what he says, period. Yep. Yeah, Ben Grady, here's my tie, see my tie. I do see my coach, see my tie, see my coach, see my tie. All right, guys, I hope I've answered this question adequately. I hope that if it's brought up any more questions that you can, uh, you can send me email. Um, let me, let me put my, ah, come on, Tony. Remember Christianity is now at gmail.com. You can follow, you can, you can send me an email for show topic ideas and questions tomorrow. We're going to have Todd Clippert on with me and Aaron love having Todd. And we're going to talk about, uh, Sunday evening. What, what can, what are some good things we can do for Sunday evenings and all that. Hello, Debbie Mangus. It's good to see you. Um, so look forward to tomorrow's show. Uh, let me put the uh, tip jar up. Remember, uh, this is not a work of any congregation. Aaron Dotson are handling this all out of pocket. Uh, we'd love for you to, 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 to uh, monetarily support the show. You can do so through www.nearchurches at gmail.com. And you can do a $5 a month subscription at Substack. But if you want to support us and you don't, and you're not able to do it monetarily, get a free subscription at Substack, subscribe Christianity Now streams and share the content, share every article that we write, uh, understanding the time on Instagram, share the content there. Somebody just, somebody from the show just, uh, did a lot of stuff on the Instagram. That's so cool. Thank you so much for that. And then, of course, Twitter. Uh, we are on X, formerly known as Twitter, at one Chronicles one two three two. So there's all kinds of ways to interact with our content and share it. Thank you so much. Sword and Pearl says you nailed it, Tony. Thank you for the thumbnail, and thank you. And the thumbnail for this video was fire. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right.
God bless every one of you. Thank you so much. This has been Tony Berth Cogitations. Remember, like, subscribe, and share on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Radio. Interact with our content. Support us monetarily. Substack Christianity Now. God bless, and we'll catch you on the flip side.